I see myself like a cocktail waiter, okay? And uh, <laughs> the patient presents uh, and tells me what kind of, uh, you know, we work out what kind of thing is needed. And now it's up to me to decide how much of this is going to be pharmacological, how much behavioral, how much technological. And we make this mixture that's unique to that person. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Managing anxious patients is not only one of the most difficult things in dentistry, and sometimes they can be very stressful encounters, but they are actually some of the most rewarding experiences. Sometimes this defines us as dentists, a dentist who cares, a dentist who can really give people hope. People lose hope and that's part of their anxiety. They won't know if they will get along with you, but they won't know these patients if they can ever trust another dentist again. They are too scared of pain. They're too scared of just general dentistry. And I think if you could master the art of treating the anxious patient, you will be so, so, so busy, profitable, but more important, your your value and your sort of self, self-worth self as a dentist and enjoyment and fulfillment can really, really increase. And that's why I hope today on this episode, Petrus Rati, PDP 050, 50, episode 50, raising my bat. Thank you so much for sticking with me all the way 50 episodes. I've got an amazing person, this clinician, Dr. Mike Gal. If you've ever met him, I met him on the Smithson course a few months ago and mine, this guy is just something else. Like here I am, right? I'm placing local anesthetic sometimes when I'm placing retraction cord, right? So I take the temporary crown off and I need to, to get a scan or impression to go to a definitive crown, for example. And I'm I'm placing local anesthetic for retraction cord. Yeah, I'll put my hand up. I do this sometimes, right? Whereas this guy, okay, Dr. Mike Gal, he's worked with dentists alongside him and through his hypnosis and, and just amazing management of anxious patients, their team have managed to place implants and do sinus lifts without local anesthetic. Yeah, you heard that right, right? without local anesthetic to do a surgical procedure and place an implant, that is amazing. I'm not saying you guys should aspire to that level, but don't you think we can learn so much from Dr. Mike Gao? Uh, and, and just even as a GDP, if we can learn a few tips from this episode, which is absolutely jam packed full of it, it will really help you in the management of nervous patients. We, we ask about Mike's journey, how he got, got involved with nervous patients, what his top tips are. He explained what he was feeling like just before he was about to um, operate on this patient when placing the implants without local anesthetic, like that's a big ask. And a lot of these were being televised and filmed. So it was, a, it was a lot of pressure for him and his team, but it's just amazing the outcome. And we sort of find out what kind of patient is suitable for going ex- as extreme as that, yeah? Not everyone is suitable. And it depends on a few factors which Mike covers fantastically. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you may change your life like in a massive way. Like it changed my life in a massive way, right? When you're sometimes doing treatment plan letters at home and you need to, to just see an x-ray, or you need to see exactly what what the conversation was with the patient. You need to read your notes, right? And let's say it's a weekend. Sometimes I'm spending weekends doing treatment plans, as you know from the previous episodes. So how can you access the notes? It's a, it's, it's been something that really bugged me for a long time. So we use, um, in, in the UK, a lot of people use SOE Exact, and no matter what system you use, um, you can download something called AnyDesk. Now, AnyDesk will allow you to access 
any other desktop or computer or laptop that's got any desk involved and it's like completely secure so you've got these like long keys passwords just encryption all that sort of stuff and then now you are able to access your work computer and if your work computer's on you can then log into your dental management patient management software and you can look at your x-ray you can you know find out emails of patients so you can email them a treatment plan letter and that literally really helped me so so much in terms of saving time in ways you couldn't imagine and also so I'm not constantly hassling the or, or bugging the, the receptionist to send me this email or send me that piece of uh, information or show me this x-ray so now I can just do it myself you take the burden off the reception team so if you ever wanted to know how can I access that information while out and about or at home or at different practice I would download AnyDesk on your laptop uh, or computer and then also the work one and it's, it's really easy uh, to use so I really hope you enjoy AnyDesk. I'll put the link for it on the protrusive.co.uk website on the, under the show notes of this episode, but also on the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group, which has been just amazing recently. So much activity on there. People are really embracing the term Protruserati, which is awesome. I'd like to thank Enlighten Whitening for their support in sponsoring this episode. And they're a premium brand of whitening that we use, and it's just phenomenal. The patients get a really great response, and it's more about the feel that they get that, hey, I'm actually using a quality system. The tray design is just on point. It's a really uh, like thicker trays, which have it's like a super seal effect. And so I, whenever I fit these trays, I'm always impressed at the, the seal that's uh, achieved. I was really impressed the first time I used Enlighten a few years ago that when the pack came in the delivery, there was like um, this cold pack with it as well. Because of course we know that it's so important to keep your carbamide peroxide or hydrogen peroxide cold, right? So we instruct our patients to keep it in the fridge. So I was impressed that even in transit, these gels are being uh, moved around with this cold pack to keep the gels at the right temperature. And I think that could be part of the, the secret, if you like, as to why Enlighten it performs so well and why people get such great results with it and why they can give this B1 guarantee. Whether you use Enlighten already or using a, an alternative whitening brand, I think you can learn a lot from Payman Langrudi. He does a one hour training uh, on teeth whitening. And of course, you'll get to learn the benefits specifically about what makes Enlighten unique as a premium brand of teeth whitening. So. Uh, if you go to protrusive.co.uk forward slash enlighten, you'll be taken to the page where you can sign up for the one hour free training with Payman, who will be coming on the podcast soon because I want him to, to talk about these things. And I want to make it controversial. I'm going to probe him and prod him and try and get out, you know, find out is the light. We know people use the, the, the chair, in-chair lights on the teeth. Is that even worth it? Like we sort of kind of know the answer, but what's the sort of history behind that? Are practices still doing that? What makes whitening more uh, efficacious? Is that the right word? How can we do more whitening? Like whitening is such a, I want to say an easy procedure, but it's like a, it's a reversible procedure. It's so safe and it can really, really uplift patients and, and give them a, a much improved smile uh, compared to doing invasive procedures. So uh, it's something to worth checking out. So go to protrusive.co.uk forward slash enlighten to check that out. So again, thank you to Payman and the team at Enlighten for sponsoring this episode. And we're going to dive right in with Dr. Mike Gao. Mike, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you, my friend? I am very well, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. And I'm really, really excited to talk about uh, all the themes we're talking about today. I just think it's crazy, right? I'm going to say it now. I think it's crazy that you can do treatments without local anesthetic. And I know I'm sort of jumping the gun a little bit, but uh, I mean, your um, sort of claim to fame for me for, for bringing you on is that um, amazing accomplishment for anyone who doesn't know, and we're sort of setting the scene here, is, I mean, here I am using local anesthetic to place retraction cord, right? And you uh, have, have been involved in sinus lifts 
and immediate yeah. implant placements without local anesthetic. And we're going to talk about that today. And we want GDPs uh, and dentists all over the world to, to learn techniques to manage nervous patients. But what you achieved with that is just mind-blowing. Before we jump into that, just tell everyone about a little bit about yourself, where you practice. Uh, you have a beautiful practice in Glasgow called the Berkeley. Uh, tell us a little bit about just you. Yeah. So yes, I'm, uh, I qualified in Glasgow in 1999 uh, and actually got a really keen interest in anxiety management uh, right from the, the beginning of my career. Even as a student, uh, I, was, I was interested in anxiety management. Uh, I did my, my dental elective in hypnosis uh, as well back in those days. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into that story a little bit more shortly. Um, over the years I've trained, I've got a master's in hypnosis, uh, applied to dentistry from University College London, postgraduate certificate in the management of dental anxiety uh, as well. So um, uh, yes, and, and you know, my practice is the vast majority of my patients either are or have been anxious at some point in the past. So that's really the main uh, core of, of the work that I do with anxious. What, 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 what attracted you to that? I mean, you said from very early on as a student, but what, why that? Why not uh, orthodontics? Why not this? You're essentially everything to uh, yeah. a very large number. You're, you're there, everything. You are there, orthodontics. You are, if you're doing it, orthodontics, you're there, oral surgeon. You're, you're a lot of there are a lot of services yeah. to certain people who will probably refuse to go to anyone else because you, you know, when you have an anxious patient and they like you, they, you know, we know that they will stick with you. So what is it that, is it, is, is it, did you know that, Hey, this is really important in my career. That could be my USP. Or is there some other factors that made you, uh, you know, drew you towards the management of anxious patients? Definitely. I, I wasn't, uh, I guess, business minded enough at the time just to realize that actually it was a, a great USP to have. Um, what it was actually, there was a, a, a patient of mine as a dental student who was on the, the student clinic who, who shouldn't have been. She was terrified. Uh, and all I was doing was making her a set of uh, dentures. And I, I still remember to this day all my, my student colleagues, uh, you know, complaining about patient management and uh, you know, struggling to do certain things clinically. But at the end of helping this particular lady, she was so grateful that I'd got her through her treatment. She actually gave me a little uh, Parker pen. Now, this lady was not well off. She was a little uh, old uh, Glasgow widow, you know. And at the end of the treatment, I got this Parker, silver Parker pen with Michael engraved on the pen. And she gave me the biggest hug and said, you've changed my life. And from that moment on, I thought that's, that's what I want to do. I, I love dentistry. I do love clinical dentistry. But I love that feeling of changing somebody's life. And with phobic patients, you know, often people that haven't been to the dentist for often decades, um, you know, they have no social life. They're, they're struggling finding work. They're struggling to find a partner. They've got low confidence, pain, unable to eat. And, and, and they've got very low expectations. They think their life cannot change. And to be able to take um, somebody through that journey to a point where, they're out of pain. They can chew and they can smile again. And you, you know, the, um, uh, it's just a, you know, it's a privilege and an honour to be part of that that journey with somebody. So that's that's where I get my buzz uh, and my kick every time is um, is from how it changes people's lives. I can definitely relate to that buzz. I mean, I think all dentists, or all, all dentists who mean well, who have a, a kind heart and gentle hands, who who, who the kind of dentist that puts topical anesthetic, you know, there's some who don't and some who do. And I just automatically divide those two groups. And I think yeah. those who do, you know, maybe I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying, but I think those who place topical uh, care more than those who don't, that's just, here's, here's my, my thing, of it. here's my thing about topical since you raise it. It is 
yeah, first of all, you've got to put it on for at least 90 seconds. So make sure the stuff works. Give it a chance. But see, by using topical anesthetic, you're telling your patient you care and you'll go the extra mile. And for that minute and a half, you'll buy uh, appreciation. You'll buy the patient's comfort. It's, it's so worth doing every time. Even if the patient's not nervous, that's exactly my mantra. And uh, you know, so anyone listening out there, you don't use topical, just use it. It just makes sense. It shows that you're a caring dentist. It's a no-brainer for me. You probably have a mic, uh, and, and just tell, just tell me, just because it's, it's fun to know. Where is the furthest a patient travels from to come and see you? Oh man, that's a question. Um, I get um, patients from over Europe actually. So uh, sadly, I, I had a patient who was due to see me from from France, but of course they've they've not been able to come. Um, so I think probably European is uh, uh, is the furthest. But again, this is this is one of the things. Yes, patients will travel, but part of what I want to do, I, I I don't want to create a patient who believes that I'm the only dentist that can ever treat them. You know, it's it's great for my ego. You know, it makes me feel nice <laughs> if that's the case. Um, however, it's not very useful for the patient if we go into lockdown or there's a pandemic or uh, um, you know I'm ill or something. So a big part of the journey I take the patient through is to rebuild their own confidence, their own ability to see how dentistry can be. And once they know how dentistry can be and that they have control over it, um, you know, I, I will frequently recommend patients to see um, other dentists. And especially if it's someone I know, I'll take them on the, the first part of the journey, get the, the majority of the treatment ca- um, completed. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of patients that will travel from England to see me. I find out where they are. And of course, dentistry is a small world. I will know somebody local to them who I know is an excellent dentist. And I say, look, go and see Jazz. He's, he's a great guy. He will look after you. Um, and then they're not having to come and see me every six months. So yes, patients travel, but I'm not um, I'm not for a minute saying that that's how it should work. That's very admirable. The fact that you you know, you know look for that arrangement, that you want to uh, build up their confidence that they can see anyone. And that's the, the real hallmark of the patient. The dentist that really cares about their patient going forward as well, because quite rightly said that you don't want them to become too dependent on you. And I think it's great that you take them through that process. Yeah. Uh, and that's amazing. So talking of processes, tell me, how do you get to a point where you ca- even have the thought of doing a sinus lift without any local anesthetic? Like I'm, I'm afraid of the rubber dam clamp to pinch the palatal uh, gingiva and them to sort of feel it and you're like all these surgical things. So tell us, uh, you know, tell us a story behind that. Uh, how, I mean, wow. I mean, I can just only fathom all the different skills that you need to do that. But how do yeah. you do it? But I think uh, that you know, I guess one of the skills is just having the the bravado to say let's let's make this happen and do it because. Uh, you know, as you know, you can you can use local anaesthetic, and and the patient may still feel something. Um, you know, so one of the questions that people often ask me is, what you know, what would you have done if, if one of those patients had uh, had felt something? Well, guess what? That's that's what we do every day. You know, we're we're in that scenario all the time. The patient might feel something at any point. It was exactly the same. Um, so I guess you know, first of all, talking about pain management. Pain is, is uh, unique to every individual who's alive. Uh, it's a very, very complex thing, um, you know, not only physiological, uh, but emotional expectation, history. There are so many things wrapped up in, in not only the experience of pain, but the interpretation of actually what that means. You know, the word, the word pain in itself, actually, the, the origins of it means punishment. Um, and, and you get words like penalty and penitentiary and all these kind of words from the same origin. So it's a very it's associated as a very negative thing. So 
the first part of that journey when preparing a patient for something like that is to say, look, here's the procedure that we are going to do. The reason why we are doing it is to achieve your goals of promoting your health, promoting the aesthetics, um, you know, listing through all the reasons why they're doing it. Now, during that process, uh, your body will give you signals to tell you that there's, there's danger, something's happening, there's a surgical thing. However, you know that this is all um, constructive, it's all healthy, we're, we're, we're doing a good thing by doing this, so you can interpret that signal differently. So that's kind of part of the, the introduction to how do you interpret these signals. Now, if you watch a lot of um, people talking about pain management for you know, surgical situations using hypnosis, the mistake that's often made is they talk about saying, you will not feel anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I would never even say this if a patient was having local anesthetic, or you won't feel anything. Because mm-hmm. you do, of course you feel something. But you're going to feel pressure, you're going to feel vibrations, you're going to feel X, Y, and Z. So yes, you'll feel something, but you'll be surprised how comfortable it is. Now, actually, if, you, if anybody ever watches the, the video that I did with um, Phil Friel, which was the immediate implant placement, throughout, uh, and it's on YouTube, throughout the, the procedure, I'm saying to her, you know, lots of pressure, you're feeling pressure, vibration, movement. And at the end, the, the interviewer says to her, so how was that? Um, you know, what, was, it, was it painful? And she says, no, no, it was just a kind of, and she looks for a word and she says, it was a kind of pressure feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's the words I was using and, and feeding the whole time, interpreting it differently. So for, first of all, for an extreme procedure, it would be quite difficult if the patient was extremely anxious because that anxiety uh, would drive the pain. We know the more anxious somebody is, the more pain that they interpret. Now, if you take an MRI scan, the fascinating part of pain research shows that this is not just the person saying, I feel that painful. When you look at the functional MRI scan, their brain is firing. And these are the cases sometimes where, you know, the, the patients in the chair, you, you barely touch the tooth or, or you, you take out a bit of cotton wool. Ah, that was sore. What did you do? Okay. Now, the chances, I mean, maybe there's a, a, a accessory nerve supply, maybe there's something else going on, but there is a chance that the patient has actually generated a pain response within the brain, um, despite there not being a physical reason why it should happen. The pain is just as real, it's just as painful. So, you know, the big mistake would be to say, you couldn't have felt that. You've lost but, but Mike, I, honestly, I've had these patients whereby literally I'm, I'm, I'm hovering the, <laughs> the needle above the buccal cluster premolar about to give the infiltration. And they're like, ah! Um, and, and, you know, you, yes. you think, oh my gosh, you know. But these are often, you know, in my experience, very, very anxious uh, patients. These are the ones that you're taking out a, a lower molar, for example, and you've given four ID blocks and three articulate infiltrations. You've gone lingual. And then just as you start uh, putting any pressure on, they're, they're screaming. So my natural instinct, most dentists would think, hey, you know what? This patient's just full of BS. Um, but you're, are you suggesting that actually that there are, there is activity in the brain that matches up with real perceived pain? Yeah. One. 100%. I mean, first of all, never make the assumption that there's something that you've missed. There, there could be an abscess, there could be accessory nerve supplies, there could be a reason why they, they genuinely, genuinely are feeling something. But I do believe in a lot of cases, especially in very anxious patients, um, their anxiety drives um, the, the, the expectation and the experience of, of pain. Um, but it is very real. 
it's it's psychologically generated, but it's just as real as if mm. it was physiologically generated. Um, and that um, you know that is something that um, we have to be super super aware of. Was it NLP? Did you use NLP, or um, or, or did, have you uh, sort of done a, a program learning about NLP, uh, or is it purely uh, your sort of hypnosis background? that you're able to get a patient like that. And, and also what I want to know is, would you be able to take me, for example, I'm not dentally anxious, at least I don't think I am, and would you be able to condition me to potentially have an uh, extraction, for example, with, without local anesthetic? Just, yeah. and not that way that I want this to go too much in that direction because I want this to be really helpful for GDPs and most of yeah. us are not going to start doing this, but I think there's so much we can learn from what you do. Um, here, here's the thing. Be, being hypnotizable um, is mainly about somebody's creative imagination and their creative ability, uh, as well as expectation and motivation. Now, somebody who's, who's highly phobic, highly anxious, and is able to generate the experience of pain despite the fact you're doing very little is probably quite hypnotizable, okay? Because they're already doing wow. it. They're, they're doing it negatively, okay? So for those patients, I know that, yes, hypnosis can help. Now, could I hypnotize you? I've got no idea. Um, I, I would need to know a little bit more about you. On, on a general assumption, if I know that you are creative, uh, artistic, um, all those types of things, then, then I would guess yes. You know, if a patient presents and says to me, Mike, I'm a, a professor of mathematics at the local university, could you hypnotize me? I'm thinking probably <laughs> not because he's going to analyze everything. And rather than uh, going with the creative experience, you're going to be questioning what's happening all the time and it actually stops you engaging with the experience. Uh, if someone says, I'm a, an artist, uh, a musician, they tend to be far more hypnotizable. But actually, as I say, if someone says, I have a phobia of spiders flying, uh, water, the dentist, can I be hypnotized? Then the answer is yes, because you're already doing it. So I, it's a beautiful self-selecting group of patients. If someone comes and says, Mike, I have a phobia, can you hypnotize me? Yes, is the answer. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do. You want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later. You can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. That, that's, that's crazy because automatically I assume that those two patients that you've done in you know, immediate placement, uh, sinus lift without yeah. LA, I thought, hey, these are not the extremely nervous ones. They're probably just normal guys that you sort of said, hey, you know, it'd be really cool to do this. But actually what I'm understanding now is actually you need that uh, patient who generates those sorts of uh, connections, neural connections that are amenable yep. to hypnosis. So, so those two patients were... Um, you know, most patients, most dentists would uh, see them as phobic patients. Not necessarily. One of them actually was quite anxious um, originally. The other wasn't. You, you don't need to be, um, you don't need to have anxiety to be hypnotizable or, or phobic. You just need that creative ability. Mm -hmm. And most people who are anxious or phobic have that, but you don't have to have the anxiety element. There's plenty of creative people that don't have anxieties. Um, so it's more the creative ability that's important. 
Brilliant. So the, now I want to get the learning done here. So you've talked about these amazing experiences. Uh, and and uh, if you send me the YouTube link, uh, I'm yeah. sure lots of people want to see this. So I'll put that on the show notes on protrusive.co.uk uh, so people can check it out. I want to know what are some pieces of advice that you can give to dentists listening right now to help us tomorrow manage anxious patients because because anxiety anxious patients phobic patients can be a blessing in terms of you know their patients for life so rewarding the great feelings that you get the hugs that you get the yeah. lives that you can change but they're also the reason you run 45 minutes late uh, you have to get the tissues out uh, and, and give it to your patient um the nurses roll their eyes all that sort of stuff they're also they they, they generate a lot of emotions in yeah. dentists I think, and, and you're right, but each of the things you've mentioned there are, th- are, are, the th- are things that you would address. So first of all, um, you know, creating uh, an ethos among your practice of caring for the patient and actually understanding that these are a really rewarding group of patients to help. Um, I think, you know, scheduling them at the right time, good communication with care coordinators, you know, all of those things go a massive way and it gives everybody, it's not just me that gets the job satisfaction, it's the whole team. Uh, can genuinely, um, you know, invest in this and feel like they're, they're, you know, they're part of changing this person's life. So make it a team thing rather than just being about the, you know, the clinician themselves would, would be one thing. Um, you know, not, so ensure that the staff who care around you are also getting the training in communication and, you know, sedation techniques and, and whatever else you're, you're going to offer. Um, I think having... Um, Time and flexibility would be the second thing. So I would always avoid, if I know somebody is very anxious, I would always avoid squeezing it in. You know, um, for me, still the hardest patient to manage is a phobic patient in pain squeezed in for 15 minutes. I mean, that that is hard, no matter how many NLP or hypnosis courses you've done, that's, that's still going to be very tough because a patient will pick up on the smallest cues of you feeling under stress or pressure or, or trying to rush at something and the whole thing can just spiral and, and get out of hand quite quickly. So time is really important. And then train, you know, um, this is one of the, the things I found interesting when I first embarked on my, my journey. It, you know, dental anxiety management seemed to go in one of two directions. So either you were a, a sedation dentist or you did the behavioral, um, you know, CBT, hypnosis uh, kind of side of things. And actually, I found these two different arms very rarely interacted and, and, and talked. Um, it was either the sedation clinic or the hypnosis clinic. And, mm-hmm. and for me, you know, truly to help a phobic patient, it's about selecting the right mixture of all the things that we can do. You know, we've got clinical techniques, you know, injection techniques, learn how to do an akinose block, learn how to use computer controlled injection systems like the wand. Um, make sure you can get a tooth out. There's very little point in me talking a good game and relaxing a patient and then I can't get the tooth out. Um, so all of that is important. Um, uh, technology that we have from uh, CAD CAM scanners and um, impression free dentistry is, is huge as well. Um, training in the pharmacology, so training in sedation techniques, inhalation, IV sedation. You know, that, that terrified me. I, I was interested in being uh, um, uh, understanding the psychology of, of anxiety. But I knew if I truly wanted to help anxious patients, I had to train in IV sedation. Uh, and it was one of the best things I ever did because, um, you know, in the right case, IV sedation is phenomenal. And then even on the behavioral side, you know, you, you have cognitive behavioral therapy, hypnosis, NLP, basic 
relaxation techniques, communication skills, um, all of these things come together so that when I'm presented with a new patient, I, I, I don't just think phobic patient sedation. Um, I see myself like a cocktail waiter, okay? And uh, <laughs> the patient presents uh, and tells me what kind of, uh, you know, we work out what kind of thing is needed. And now it's up to me to decide how much of this is going to be pharmacological, how much behavioral, how much technological. And we make this mixture that's unique to that person. You know, some people, it's a pint of vodka. It's you need IV sedation and we need to get this done. Um, but it's always going to be a unique mixture for that person. So that I think is probably the biggest message that I have for people is, you know, train in as many of these different little branches and, and, and ingredients as you can, because the more um, things you've got to, to reach for, the you know the um, the easier the treatment is going to be for the, the individual. And that's part of you know a few years ago we developed um, the International Society of Dental Anxiety Management, and the whole thing about that was trying to have a, a I guess a platform and a, a place where people could learn lots of different things. So last year we had a, a conference. And we had people teaching injection techniques, people teaching rapport skills. Um, it was just just wonderful. So that's that's the type of thing that, that again gets me excited. And there's nothing you'll know this yourself doing teaching. There's nothing more exciting than another dentist coming back saying that thing that you told me I used on this really phobic person who we've been struggling with, and and they're now okay. And that's hugely rewarding as well. That's fantastic. I really love the the cocktail waiter analogy. That's <laughs> Just phenomenal. I really love that. What percentage of your day is uh, sedation? What percentage of your day are you actually um, delivering uh, intravenous sedation? Um, I would say, I would actually put that as a percentage of the week more than a day because okay. I, I maybe have uh, a session a week or every couple of weeks. I don't do a huge amount of IV sedation, uh, maybe using inhalation a little bit more, um, especially just now, IV sedation is just a bit more complicated with, um, you know, chaperones and um, around mm. coronavirus. It's just a little bit harder. Um, but I find maybe once uh, once a week or once every couple of weeks. And then generally, these are new patients that are needing a high volume of surgical treatment. So multiple extractions or multiple same-day um, crown placements, um, uh, you know, using um, the, the trios. Uh, so we're, you know... Yes, the big disadvantage really with IV is the patient has no memory of the treatment. Now, your patient's going to say rubbish because I don't want any memory of the treatment. But if they have no memory of the treatment, then they've actually got no foundation to build their future experiences on saying, look, that was actually okay. So great to get things started, um, but um, it doesn't necessarily help to cure the phobia in the long run. It doesn't take them through that process of becoming less dependent on you, uh, but but it's, it's a good yeah. starting point for for uh, maybe an, uh, a surgical procedure that they're not maybe um, something that you probably want to do on the sedation as well. Uh, and when you take them through that journey uh, and they become more trusting and they can open themselves up to other treatment, and you've probably got obviously as you said your whole practice is is geared towards that, uh, yeah. which is amazing. So, so Mike, I just wanted to ch- touch on uh, inhalation sedation. Uh, a couple of years ago, I thought before then that inhalation sedation was just for children, right? And I got beat down on Facebook uh, by, by some uh, eminent educators in inhalation sedation that this is absolute rubbish. It's actually used for adults. And that's when I learned, hey-ho, there is actually a place for inhalation sedation for adults. So uh, tell us, just can you uh, bust, uh, bust that myth for us uh, yep. about inhalation sedation and how much of an impact, how, how much can it actually help your patients? 
Inhalation sedation, I think, is probably one of the most underused anxiety management tools that, that we have at our disposal. I, I believe just now, I may be wrong, so please let me know if I'm, I'm wrong, but I believe we're the only clinic in Glasgow that is offering it um, at all. Um, and it's so effective. I mean, it's great for kids. It uh, works very, very well with kids, but for adults as well. Um, it, it's perfect for short um, uh, you know, minimally invasive uh, procedures. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced um, nitrous yourself before. Um, I have. At the school, they give us yeah. a, in fourth year, they give us a little go, you know, and it felt amazing. I felt like I was four pints <laughs> down, but not in like a, in, it, you're kind of four pints down, but you know you're, gonna, you're not going to get a hangover and you feel fresh. <laughs> it, it, felt, it felt really good. Indeed. This is how I explain it to patients. I know if it's a parent of a kid, you've got to be really careful as well. So, I talk about it being a happy, drunk feeling. And then I make sure I explain to the kids that with alcohol, you can feel sick, violent. Uh, you can get depressed and upset. But with happy gas, it's called happy gas because it makes you happy. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, it's got me out of many, many difficult cases in the past. You know, it's occasionally even cases booked in for IV where we've not managed to find a vein. Um, the patient's then being able to proceed with inhalation and actually got on okay. It's very, very safe, very, very easy to use. And, you know, it just makes me think, why would you not have this? It is not that expensive to set up in, uh, in practice. Um, very, very easy to do. And you can find training courses through um, SAD or the likes of Richard Sharon, who, who offers training courses in inhalation sedation. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Richard. It was, it was actually Richard Sharon who, who, who beat me on Facebook about that. <laughs> but, but, but thank you, Richard, because you, you taught me something. And hopefully people listening right now uh, who may have thought, hey, you know, inhalation equals children. It's not the case. Inhalation yeah. sedation is, is widely used in those clinics that use it on adults uh, to, to a great deal of success. So uh, moving on. Yeah, I was going to say just very quickly, when, when I, in my VT practice, um, they had inhalation sedation plumbed in. It was in a little town called Callander, uh, which is up in Perthshire near Stirling. And um, I always remember my, my trainer um, said this wonderful line to me where he said, um, he said he loved using nitrous oxide for his patients. He said, you know, your, uh, your anxious and your, your difficult patients, they, they need it, but your good patients, they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, oh, never forgotten good. that. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, so your VT practice, you were a VT there and they had inhalation sedation as well. Yes, I, I was. I mean, that was great for me. I was able to use it, you know, straight from the off. That, that's amazing. I mean, that reminds me of uh, the film, the, the, the book Outliers, how, um, you know, the fact that um, both Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates were both born in 1955. And therefore, when they were at a certain age, they were coming to computers. And then for you in your journey, like yeah. the fact that, you know, you're already interested in that. And then your VT place had yeah. inlaced station. So that only, uh, you know, fed fuel to the fire. It so does, that's amazing. If, if you read Matthew Syed, he, he talks about that as well. Black box thinking, you know, becoming yeah. a, t a table tennis champion, but actually the, the top, 10 players in the UK all came from the same street because the, the that was bounce Matthew Sides bounce that's it indeed yeah. indeed so but that, and that is that is true um, so the inhalation station as I say it's, it's well worth doing and actually and, not, and again I would never say get into anxiety management for financial reasons however the, the fees for doing nitrous oxide are actually fairly reasonable as well and, and not only do you get remunerated for, for what you're doing it makes you faster as well. So for a, a small amount of downtime at the start while the patient is starting, because it takes a few minutes for it to, to work, you then get a far easier, more compliant and more relaxed patient and the procedure goes a lot a lot faster. So there is, there is a business model in that as well, um, which is well worth looking at.
Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because then that can lead uh, nicely to another question I want to ask uh, about businesses. Look, when you're marketing, because you're amazing at managing uh, anxious patients, you've built a whole practice around it. Uh, you've trained and invested in your staff uh, to, from the way they handle phone calls, the way they greet them. I'm sure every all bases are covered. So now you've invested in your team and you've invested in yourself. In yourself. How do you attract the right patient that will really benefit from you? Is it um, just purely word of mouth or do you do some marketing within Glasgow and how do you, I mean, I'm sure, the, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the patients from Europe and, and that sort of stuff, I'm sure there's loads of word of mouth going on, but do you advertise? Um, we, do, we do a little advertising. Not, I don't need to do a huge amount for the anxiety management. Um, what was interesting actually, when I first came to the clinic that I'm now in, um, it was a bit of a leap of faith. I, I'd been working in a mixed practice until that point. Um, and, and, you know, while I trained in the hypnosis and the sedation. Um, so when I, when I first moved to the Berkeley Clinic, there was no list. And I thought, this is me. I'm going to establish as an anxiety management dentist. And I really had no idea, is there a big enough private market to, to sustain this? When I knew that 30 to 40% of, of the population were anxious, um, but I wondered, are there enough of that population that are prepared to pay a private fee for it? Um, and more or less instantly, um, you know, the books filled up. It's, you know, there's a huge market for anxious patients. Um, so with regards to marketing, you're right, a huge amount is word of mouth. Um, a huge amount um, actually came from the website that I originally developed. I, I started a website as soon as I qualified called whatfear.com. And it was mainly a patient education. Which, which year was that, Mike? 99. Wow. So, so that's, that's really great. That's so, I mean, so uh, early, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know, when was Google started? I don't know, but that was, that, that's really good. <laughs> it was right at the start. So actually there were lots of um, mental health and self-help forums ended up linking up because mine was pretty much the only dental anxiety website out there. Um, so it's become a bit more business-like and about me rather than a general thing about anxiety because there's better ones dentalfearcentral.org is a great one to, to look at and it has everything in there um so the website helped actually i got involved in helping on dental fear central so as, answering questions wow. to phobic patients which of course is a free of charge thing um that's difficult because it takes a lot of the time but when you know i still get patients who have read responses and things that i've written within the forum helping other patients who then know that I'm, uh, you know, I'm caring and sympathetic to anxious patients. Um, of course, then social media, uh, laterally, um, you know, is is a thing. But um, I think the the anxiety forums is probably the main uh, thing that that generated a lot of the business originally. That's really fascinating. So there we are, forums uh, as they were, and obviously now so much of it's word of mouth. You're probably uh, the go-to clinic for that kind of stuff, which which is great. Uh, the next question I ask is now we're getting to a bit where we've got to squeeze all this content in. People are listening and they want to find <laughs> out more. So now I want to uh, find some learning points. So. Your name is Mike Gow, and I know there's something called Gow Gates. Did you come up with the Gow Gates? <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> I just, and the, do you know, the, the, the frustrating thing of that is I prefer the Akinosi block. Um, the Gow Gates is, is a bit harder. The, the chap who came up with it, his name was Gow. He's an Australian dentist. And the Gow Gates, the hyphen, was his tutor. So Gates was his teacher. Um, right. So Gow Gates is in honor of, of his teacher. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I didn't know that. So, can you just for those who don't know, um, yeah. what is the difference between a Galgates and an Akinosi? Uh, yeah. And uh, let's just focus on one. Let's focus on uh, the Akinosi because you said that you prefer it. Uh, obviously, we can't 
video demonstrate uh, exactly what it is. Yep. But if you just give a brief description, but then more importantly, how, if I want to learn Akinosi, I don't know how to do Akinosi. What's the best way yep. for me to learn Akinosi? So just cover okay. that, the difference and then how to learn that. Okay, so the, the difference, the Gao Gates block is an open mouth block. Um, and, and after it's delivered, um, the patient has to stay open for a considerable amount of time. And often you need to kind of massage and, and try and move the anesthetic around. So for you know, a lot of the time when I want an alternative block technique to an ID block, part of it is um, a problem with uh, access. Um, there's maybe difficulty in seeing landmarks. So maybe the patient's a bit overweight. Um, or they have a large tongue, a gag reflex. So the open mouth techniques are, are difficult in these cases. Um, the akinosi is a closed mouth block, um, which is what makes it uh, so superb. So you can use it with patients with limited opening, huge tongues, gag reflex, um, uh, poor anatomy. Most of us have probably given an akinosi inadvertently at some point in the past when you've been anesthetizing an upper eight. And the patient says, my lips starting to go numb at the bottom. Mm. Uh, you've, you've kind of done a, a high block by mistake. Um, so to do the akinosi, you're, you're still using the same uh, needle as you would use for an ID block. Track the cheek, ask the patient to close. And you're actually going in at about the height of the apices of the maxillary molars, about the mucoperiosteal fold. So that's the height you're going in. Uh, you advance the needle um, hub to about where the distal of the seven is. Mm -hmm. um, and you're actually giving, there's loads of YouTube videos on this as well. So you're actually giving the, the block much, much higher. Now, one of the reasons it's not taught to us at university is there's no bony contact. So there's no guarantee of exactly location and, and where you are. So again, you need to make sure you're aspirating. You're not in any, any structures there. Um, I've never had any issue with it, I have to say. Um, while I'm doing it. And again, because you're not going through um, muscle tissue as you do with an open mouth um, block, it's far more comfortable as well. So if I know I've got a needle phobic case, I'll sometimes that's my go-to as well because I know it's going to be more comfortable uh, and the patient's not straining to open while, while we're doing it. Um, so yeah, please definitely learn that. And Ozzy, um, you know, learning it, certainly there are YouTube videos to look at. You know, we do, um, having clinical training where somebody's supervising is, of course, the, the, you know, the ultimate way of learning anything. Um, so certainly look on your portals, look online for your, your CPD courses and see if anyone's teaching it. Uh, we may well run something through um, ISDAM at some point in the future if there's interest uh, we can get a clinical I'm sure there would be Mike you know sure never under underestimate the, the, the basics and, and people want to get the basics right and I think there would be yeah. uh, demand for that uh, especially because you know I remember back when being a second year student and how uh, I'm sure we all feel petrified of getting our first <laughs> ID block and your glasses yeah. steam up and you can't see anything and your hands are shaking like this uh, and, and now I'm going to a stage where you know you can most dentists can do everything with their eyes closed but when you're trying to do a, a new technique it, yeah. it, even though it's so familiar, yeah. it can be really scary. Like, for example, I once read, and maybe you can tell me about this. I once read, I think it was like Dental Update or BDJ, that a technique to get your patients to feel their ID block less is that you, you get into position, instead of you inserting the needle, you get the patient to turn into the needle. Okay. 
But even that, I just want, I don't want to change. I don't, I don't want to change anything, right? So, so it can be quite scary actually uh, when you're when you're first sort of doing that sort of yeah. stuff. Certainly, with, with infiltrations, I'll, I'll move the tissue onto the needle. But my worry with asking the patient to move their head is somebody's surely going to jolt their head one day, or, or you know, you lose control a bit over it. So that that would be my worry with that particular suggestion. Exactly. Um, That's why I haven't done it. But it was an interesting uh, thing to read, actually. Yeah, uh, so but, then uh, when I. Yeah, go on, go on, sorry. I was going to say, I, I, the akinosia is simple. It, it's not difficult. It's, it's very straightforward. It, it is like doing a, 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 an altered infiltration, essentially. So um, I'll find yeah. a good video on YouTube and I'll link it as well because people uh, yeah. like to see that sort of stuff. So uh, we've talked about how you track the anxious patients. Well, uh, you're right, going couple- to say as well, just before you move on, the first ID block that I ever gave and of course you are, you're, you're trying to um, get rid of the, the, the shakes and I'm in position, working out my landmarks, the anatomy, I inserted the needle, found the bone coming back. And it's just as I started to, to press the plunger, a wasp landed in my ear. Wow. Uh, so I just very slowly withdrew the needle and then went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> that, that was is, my first uh, ID book. And I still I'm sure everyone's got a cool story. Everyone always remembers their first time they did whatever, you know, so your first uh, ID block. I remember my first ID block very well. Uh, And so that's a a very unique story. I like that a lot. Uh, So last couple of questions now, actually. Uh, One is tapping back into that story of of you uh, doing these uh, procedures alongside a colleague without local anesthetic and and depending on hypnosis, which is just, again, just still mind-blowing, right? You had some TV coverage. I believe you had like a, a TV setup, some camera people uh, come in. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? And what was going through your mind uh, okay. during that? Because, you know, the whole, <laughs> there's a professional team. And if it goes wrong, then it can be very embarrassing. Uh, what Indeed. was going through your mind? Uh, okay, well, well, first of all, th- there's been a number of things we've done. So there was a kind of progression to the story. You know, hypnosis is an unusual thing. As you've heard, it's just one of the the bows in the bag, you know, one of the arrows, there's lots of tools that are used, but because it's more unusual, I've kind of become known as the hypnosis guy, but but that's just part of what, what we do. Um, so, you know, I, I did, you know, I experienced some amazing things with hypnosis. In that same first year uh, when I was working in the clinic with the, the nitrous, there was a, a little lady that came to see me who had a chronic pain. Uh, we couldn't find the source of it. Uh, I referred her to the, the pain specialists. Um, they, came, they wrote a letter back saying it's probably psychogenic. Um, she saw all sorts of pain specialists, had medication. Uh, and I said to her, I'd done this basic training course uh, in hypnosis. And I said, you know, hypnosis can help. And she just looked at me and said, I don't think so, sunshine. <laughs> and about three months later, her husband came back in and said, look, she is crying herself to sleep every night. She's in so much pain. Could you try hypnosis with her? So, of course, I got all my books ready, wrote up, wrote up lots of techniques. Um, and I was supposed to see her for her assessment. So she came in for this assessment. Um, and uh, on the day she's in tears, she said, I can't stay for long because I'm in so much pain. I just need to go. So I said to her, look, can I teach you a really quick technique? And it took all of about 10 or 15 minutes, a visualization technique of imagining her pain was um, a number on a dial. Uh, I asked her if she could visualize the dial and just turn it up very slightly. So the pain was just slightly worse for a few seconds and then turn it back down to where it was. It's really easy if you focus on pain to make it worse. Turned it up and then back to where it was. She could then turn it down by half a number and then a full number. So we played around for 10 minutes with this idea of the dial. And she went away. I then um, booked her next appointment and I started phoning 
the fault that trained me, my dad who, who uh, works in hypnosis, and I got all these ideas from the techniques and skills. She came back in the following week and said, um, I've come in for my appointment, but you're going to be a bit annoyed because the pain's gone away. I don't think I need this appointment. And I said, really? What happened? And she said, well, I, I went home and I was doing the dial. And she said, see, when you get to zero, is it meant to click and, and just never come back? <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, uh, yeah, that's fine. So that, that's what got me interested in. I, I mean, I, I, as a, an evidence-based dentist, I'm thinking, is this coincidence? Uh, is it, it could have been any number of things. Am I, did I make that up? Have I, have I seen this properly? So that's when I decided I was going to study the master's because I wanted to know the science behind it. And that led me to that. So once I had the master's, of course, you know, there's only a handful of folk in the UK that have a master's in hypnosis. And that attracted the attention of some of the, the TV companies. So the first um, approach I had was from BBC Three. And they said, Mike, we, um, we're doing a program about the, um, the power of persuasion. Could we film you extracting a tooth with hypnosis and you know i i, I panicked and thought well, that'd be great it'd be wonderful to show it's possible the first tooth that was extracted with hypnosis was back in like the 1830s 1840s so it's, it's not a new thing um but that made again made me think why are we still reporting this as, as this weird new phenomenon we've had this skill for for centuries you know um, but I also panicked about giving across the wrong impression of, of dentistry, of hypnosis. Uh, I didn't want people turning up at my door saying, take my tooth out with, with hypnosis and all local. <laughs> so the first case I did was actually a filling. And the guy came in, uh, put the rubber dam on, and we did a dental restoration using hypnosis. And I thought, I, I have proved um, that good dentistry can be done with, with hypnosis. A year or two later, we had another um, contact saying, we are doing a program called Hypnosurgery Live, and there's somebody who's going to be having uh, a hernia repair operation done live on TV. We would love to film you doing a, a, a dental extraction um, to be part of this show. And of course, I said the same thing. We've been doing it for ages. Why do we need to be proving? I thought, do you know what? If we're going to do it, let's do something a bit braver, a bit more 21st century. Let's look at implant placement. And I researched it had never been done before, implant placement with local anesthetic. And I thought, if we can prove that you can place an implant with no local anesthetic, imagine the power that as dentists we have if we use some of these techniques in combination with local anesthetic. So you're using the things together. That's the real power of it. So I agreed, phoned up the defense union. Is this okay? Uh, anything I need to worry about? And they said, no, as long as the patient's comfortable, and you've got local anesthetic on standby if you need it, it's fine. Um, so I did this case with Abid Fakir. Um, the, the lady had a sinus lift um, procedure done, and then the implant was placed. And I thought, that's great. I, I never have to do that again. I've replaced an implant. Um, it's been done. And then uh, another TV company contacted us and said, we're doing a program about alternative therapies. We'd love to have uh, a, a, an extraction done under hypnosis. I thought, I'm never going to get away from this extract, <laughs> right? But I'd still like the idea of the implant placement showing the, you know, the more modern dental techniques. So um, I was got involved with Phil Friel for this case. Uh, and he came and filmed. And this is the one that um, uh, is more widely known and viewed. The lady had her two central incis incisors extracted. 
and two immediate placement implants placed um, just using hypnosis and the local anaesthetic. Um, for me, I thought, I've, you know, as, that's me. I've proved that I've, I've done it. I don't need to do it again. Um, and then just a few years ago, there was one more approach and it was Horizon. And Horizon said, Mike, we would love to see a dental extraction. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? For my swan song with this, I'll do it. So this case was a bit more interesting. The guy um, I'd never met before, so I had no opportunity to test his hypnotizability or prepare him. Um, they, he came up with the production team from London. Um, and I met him the night before. And then on the day, um, we extracted uh, an upper wisdom tooth um, just using hypnosis. I did, I did my extraction just using hypnosis myself. So that, that was that one. Now, you asked about... Um, how it felt, obviously, during the, the you know these procedures. I think in the earlier cases, I, I was probably more anxious. I remember, um, you know, the one with Abbott, the one with Phil. Um, you know, there is a, a degree of anxiety because you don't know what a TV company is going to do with footage. If the patient has a bad experience, you know, how how does that affect the profession? How does it affect the the perception of hypnosis? Um, actually, the day that we filmed with Phil, we had two patients that day, so we actually filmed two, and they both worked uh, beautifully. So they they selected the case that they wanted to use. Um, a degree of anxiety, but as I said earlier on, I think as dentists we're in that position all the time. Our 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 bread and butter is we are doing something intricate and potentially painful with another human being, and it's exactly the same. So I had you know other hypnotic techniques on standby. Uh, and these cases were not cases where we couldn't use anaesthetic. So we did have anaesthetic on standby if it was needed. Mm -hmm, we just we just didn't need it. We didn't need it. That's amazing. I mean, such such a great uh, thing you've done for a profession, I think, uh, and to to do it in that in that way. And I'm I'm actually excited to share the video uh, with everyone. So I've got just one quick fire question, and I want to find out how we can learn more. Uh, any sort of the, the sort of uh, through the organization that you have as well, but wherever you think is the best next step for people who want to get more into either hypnosis or just managing anxious patients. But can you give us one quick fire gem in terms of a communication technique that you uh, can give to any GDP that might benefit? And B, yes, how can we learn more? Okay, okay. So uh, communication techniques there's, there's, and language techniques, there's loads. Uh, but probably one of the best ones is... Uh, you know, learn some language skills, avoid saying things like try to patients, try and relax or try and open wider because the word try suggests difficulty or you'll fail. Um, so for kids, just say, I bet you can't open any wider and you'll get a huge wide mouth. Um, avoid negative language. You know, don't think about an elephant. Elephant is in your head. So don't worry, this won't hurt. Worry, this is going to hurt. So negative language is a hypnotic technique. You can use it intentionally if you like, but most of us do it the wrong way. So, um, you know, translate things into positive language. Relax. I think you'll be surprised by how easy that you find this today. It's a great, a great tool. Uh, Training-wise, for hypnosis, I would say go through, um, you know, one of the medical and dental hypnosis societies in Scotland. We've got the British Society of Medical and Dental Hypnosis Scotland. Um, in the UK, um, there's the British Society of Clinical and Academic Hypnosis. Um, they offer online uh, courses. They offer weekend training courses um, uh, and seminars and lots of really cool things. Um, uh, again, for the general anxiety stuff, um, the organization that we set up called ISDAM. So if you go to isdam.com, uh, there's also a Facebook page for ISDAM as well. And actually within that Facebook group, 
there's experts in sedation, hypnosis language, and it's great because often if a young dentist puts a question in, they're getting answers from the, the top guys in the world at these things about managing the case in their suburban practice uh, wherever they live. Um, and it's, it's lovely to see. So join the Facebook group um, as well. Uh, that's what I love about these Facebook groups. You know, you, I mean, the one that you you said, I'm definitely going to join it and uh, share the word. But also there are some restorative groups or surgery groups and yeah. orthodontic ones I'm involved in. And there's so much wealth of knowledge that we can learn from. Uh, so, Mike, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences. Very unique experience to, well, to us. It's unique for you. It's like a normal day in the office. But uh, <laughs> there are so many things that we learned from that. And we also touched on uh, tangents like the akinosi, the Galgates, communication techniques, uh, and, and how important it is to have the entire team uh, on board and those little micro gains that you can get. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that knowledge with us. Thank you. And thank you so much for the, the invitation. And, and I guess as a parting word to the, you know, the guys that are watching here, this, this is a tough time in dentistry. You know, things, um, things are difficult just now and dentistry is difficult just now with the extra things that we need to do. Um, but, you know, focus on the stuff you enjoy um, and, and, and try and get more of the stuff that you enjoy and get some of the passion back because there is, I think, a real risk in the profession just now of us losing our passion, losing the vision of what, what it is we enjoy doing. So there's lots of patients out there that need your help and um, there's some great work that you can do. Just, um, just go for it. Amazing. Love it. Thanks so much. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Mike Gow. Like, wow. I mean, I just still can't believe the kind of stuff you can do uh, with just words and body language and suggestions and hypnosis. It's just uh, absolutely crazy. And hats off to Dr. Mike Gow. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing that with us. Remember, guys, my podcast is one of the only dental podcasts in the world where you can get CE or CPD via dentaltubules.com. Uh, and so it's, it's great value just for that. You know, if you're listening and you want to get your CPD, I'd go to Dental and Tubules to get that. You just have to uh, acknowledge the aims and objectives and answer the questions. So you don't have to listen to me all over again. You just go ahead and answer the questions. So it really can't be any easier than that. And if you enjoy these episodes, if you do me a massive favor and, and share it with a friend, share it with a buddy, that's how the podcast grows. That can, that's how I can find more uh, guests and, and of, of the highest caliber and, and how the podcast grows. So I really appreciate that if you could. And thank you and join me for the next episode.